Joshua. When he first got a real baseball, he used to play with the little plastic bat and ball stuff. And, uh, but he finally got a real baseball. One Sunday afternoon, I was home, and, and I told him, I'm going to take a nap. Don't take that ball outside and play with it. He talked his mom into it while I was taking a nap. Ball goes through the window, <laughs> breaks the window in the front, front, front window of the house. And he's all upset, you know, and he's just, I mean, he's an emotional wreck because he disobeyed me and broke a window to the house, which is what I told him would happen. <laughs> you know, Dad knew better. And then he's all upset, and I'm just, I'm affirming my love to him. It's okay, son. And I finally, the way I consoled him is I said, look, I can fix that window. I don't know if you know this, but I know how to fix windows. If we go to the store, we buy one that size. You know, I take the little wood out, we glue the other one back in and put the wood back up, and it'll be fine, you know. Not something I want to do, by the way. Back and fix the window. Well, on the way to church that night, back to church that evening, Josh said, you know, it's really great to have a dad that can fix anything I break. You know, so what I learned from my children was, it's great to have a father who can fix things. And then the Lord went, hey, dum-dum, I'm your father, (laughs) and I can fix all things that are broken. And I, and I started realizing in the scriptures, and it's why we put this series together for Christmas, you know, God fixes every broken thing. The whole point of Christmas is he sent his son to fix the entire broken world. Every single one of us are broken. And he said, hey, I'm the one that can fix it all. And so I'm just going to give you a little quick picture of that. Here's some pictures of brokenness that we started with. Adam and Eve would be the, the number one picture because that's where it originally broke. In, in the Garden of Eden, you had Adam and Eve uh, tempted. Eve was tempted by the serpent, and she ate of this fruit. For me, it would have been a, a Chilton County peach. <laughs> Peaches are the very best in the world. The greatest fruit ever invented by God. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and this is after Satan is tempted her, right? She's deceived by the, by the testings of the Satan. She saw that it was good for food. A delight to the eyes. The tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit, ate, and then she gave to Dum Dum. That's this guy. He's one of my own kind, but I'm just telling you, Adam never asked any questions. Adam never debated it like Eve did. Adam, Adam never, Adam never had to be tricked into this. He just ate the fruit, and now sin enters the world, and everything changes. Remember. Then the eyes of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, the original mossy oak. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, because they're now sinful, stupid people. They were the smartest people on the planet, by the way. They were brilliant until sin entered, and it messed up their brains. Okay? And now they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Who made the garden? Who made the earth that the garden's on? Who made the solar system that the garden and the... Who made the bush they're hiding in? Who made the leaves they covered themselves with? So we're going to hide from him? That's going to work really good. So, so stupid, you know, sin, sin makes us stupid. Just please understand that. We're all sinners and sin makes us stupid. So we do stupid things. Genesis 2 says this. The Lord God commanded them, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in, uh, for in that you eat from it you will surely die. So was there a lack of good food in the garden? Remember she said it looked good to eat. Was there a lack of good food in the garden? No. Matter of fact, all the other trees are bursting with good food. Was there, 
Do you think the garden lacked delight because it said the food was a delight to her eyes? Do you think the garden of Eden that God created for Adam and Eve lacked anything of delight? No. She didn't like any of that. It did, it, the garden had everything she needed and she chose to go outside of that to something that she was deceived and he was deceived in taking. And he took this fruit and it caused them to stumble and fall. And actually they had everything they needed and wanted Everything they needed and wanted, they had, and God provided for them. Everything they needed. Does that sound like anybody y'all know? That's us. We have everything we need. They had everything they needed, but they chose to disobey God anyway. And when they did, they broke mankind. They broke all of mankind. Because the judgment that comes from Adam and Eve sinning is that all of mankind will now be stuck in this sin cycle. All of mankind. The seed of Adam bears a sin nature that travels down to every single person ever born. If y'all can have children, by the way, if you have children without man helping you have children, okay, you can have perfect children. When your children sin, sin and create problems for you, you can blame your husbands because it's their fault. The sin nature passed through man, and the sin nature that happens, the sin nature that happens is for everybody. And when Adam and Eve sinned, one of the, the judgments of God on that was that all people will now eternally be separated from God. We all die. They, they killed, they broke everything. I mean, generations later, we're still wrestling with this sin thing. You know, we're still in rehab. We're still trying to figure out our lives, and we still got messes we made everywhere because you made the dumbest choice on the planet, buddy. But all of mankind is broken, and we see that. All of us, Romans 3.10 says there is no one righteous, not even one. There's none, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And I just want you to understand we are all extremely broken people. It's the nature of God to avoid, the nature of man, by the way, to avoid God. It's the nature of us to avoid God, to run away from God, to hide, to hide from God. That's what Adam started, to hide from God. Now, who do you think can help us more than anybody else in the universe? But who do we tend to run from? We let shame and guilt get the best of us, and we tend to avoid that. And it's, it's the nature of man to avoid God when we don't have to. When mankind is, you think of us as very, very broken. Let me just let me just tell you how broken we are, and you, you guys watch the news and know know enough news. We have this incredible planet that God's given us, and, and we we live in a first world country. Yes, I mean we have enormous amount of things that are positive for us. We, we got air conditioning, heating, and you know lighting, and we we sleep in comfortable beds. We have clean water, you know, clean facilities. I mean, we live in a great deal. And yet, we live violently. We, we live in disharmony with each other. We squabble among ourselves. Even the church, even God's people, fight among themselves over the dumbest things sometimes. And, we, and so when we have all these, when you just look at all that, you go, you know, there's disunity and division and strife and, and pain uh, that's destroying even the church in the name of God at some point. We are messed up. That's how broken we are. 
That's how broken we are. Talk about Nebuchadnezzar and how broken he was. That's a good story to read about how far from reality he was. But we're going to, I'm going to move you on today and say there's, in the midst of all this judgment, there's a promised help that comes. Because we are very broken, kind of like the Legos uh, in my son's room. We're just broken, and we need help. And God promised that help in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he judged Adam and Eve. He actually says these words in Genesis uh, 3, 15. I'll read it to you. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and the woman, and between you and her, you and your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And what, what God is telling Eve in that earliest days, this is, this is when Adam and Eve sinned, the very beginning. He's saying, there's going to be a seed born from you that's going to crush the head of that serpent that just caused you to be deceived. And he's, he, God is saying, I'm going to send a Savior, a Redeemer, a Helper, that's going to crush out that which deceives and destroys. And, and that's ultimately who Jesus becomes. By the way, Galatians 4.4 4 is the fulfillment of that promise. Galatians 4 says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. He promised we could be adopted as sons. Now, in the Garden of Eden, they are removed from the Garden. Remember, they put an angel, God posted an angel so they couldn't get back in the Garden. Now, where they, where they live has thorns and thistles and burning heat and all that kind of stuff. And they've got to work hard and their children end up, one of their children end up killing another one of their children. So life is not the same. But here in Galatians 4, it says God's going to adopt us as his sons again. We can be brought back into his family through the birth of Jesus Christ or believing in Jesus. When the fullness of time came, God sent his son. Listen to Isaiah 53. Here's another promise. Isaiah 53 says, He, referencing Jesus, was despised and forsaken of man. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised. We did not esteem him. Isaiah 53 says, verse 4, Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, but we ourselves esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. So Christ came, he, and this is a prophecy of Isaiah saying, there's going to be a guy come and he's going to carry all your griefs on him. All of your griefs, all of your pain, he's going to carry it on him. And he, and he actually says, uh, the ch- chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourgings we're going to get healed. So here's this promise in Isaiah to a bunch of people, Israel, God's people, who have fallen and broken things. And by the way, they keep re-breaking and re-breaking and re-rebelling and re-falling. And God's saying, I'm going to send one who, when he's wounded, it's going to heal you. When he's scourged, you're going to get healed. And it's the promise that he can bear your grief. He can bear your grief. I would guess that some of you have been through an enormous amount of grief in your life. I mean, it's just been hard, right? God promises that if you can look to Jesus for help, He will bear that up for you. You don't have to bear it all yourself. and He's going to take so much of it off of you, you don't feel like you're bearing under the grief anymore. That's, that's what He does. And I can give you 
you know, personal testimonies of when I lost my mom. Uh, I was very close to my mom. Uh, my older brother a few years ago died of cancer. And he's like a dad to me. I was very hard. When my son was eight, Joshua, he'd been here before playing guitar with me. When he was 18 months old and had his very first seizure, that was terrifying for us when he went into that uh, episode. And, and I remember just the heavy weight of that. The nurses telling us, hey, if he seizes for more than a minute, he's probably going to be brain dead. But he'd already been seized for 40 minutes when we got into the hospital. And he was seized for another two hours before he came out of it. So in our minds, our son's brain dead now, you know? And uh, there are times when I think he may be brain dead. No. He's a great writer. He's a great writer. But, but God has delivered us from all of that, and he bore the grief in the midst of it. I remember how much comfort I received from God sitting in ICU for five nights in a row with Joshua. You know, as a little infant, he's just laying there, and I'm having to process all this, what's happening to him and what's going on, and how much comfort God sent me in the midst of all that. There's a, a, a group called the Tally Trio, and they have a song called Orphans of God. And my favorite line from this song, because it's about grace, is, if such a thing as grace exists, then grace was made for lives like this. And they're talking about themselves. And I'm telling you, everybody in here is broken. And if such a thing as grace exists, grace was made for us, for us who are broken. And I want you to see that. I want you to see what it looks like when, when grace actually comes in and helps us. What does it look like to be repaired or fixed by Jesus, right? So this will be part three of our series. <laughs> and uh, what does it look like? Well, there's a bunch of stories in the Bible that give us great great pictures of this and I want you to see one of those stories, uh, several of them let's do Mark chapter 1 verse 40 if you feel like you've broken your future don't raise your hand I feel like I've broken mine several times if you feel like you've broken your future like my future is just totally broken I don't even know know, I've I've talked to some people in counseling before I had a 21 year old girl sit in my office years ago she actually went through this program way after that. She was sitting in my office and I just asked her to, her life was a complete disaster. She had messed up everything, thrown out of her house and everybody was mad at her, even people at our church were mad at her. And I was just trying to help her through and get some get some direction for her life. But I remember asking her, tell me how you see yourself in five years. She goes, I don't have a five year plan. I don't, I don't, she goes, I don't see myself living another year. And I mean, so she had broken her future. Her future wasn't working anymore for her. She couldn't imagine anything being okay. But in this picture, in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, there's a man with leprosy that comes to Jesus and begs him on his knees. Mark 1, verse 40. If you are willing, you can make me clean, the leper says. Filled with compassion, Jesus reaches out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. And Jesus sent him away with a strong warning. And he says, see that you don't tell anybody this. Go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for you, cleansing, for your cleansing as a testimony. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter the town, had to stay outside in a lonely place, but people still came to him from everywhere. This man went from being a leper to going on a lecture tour about Jesus. And by the way, lepers in that day, leprosy, the leprosy of that day, it's very limited on our planet now, was deadly. If, if you contracted it, you were highly contagious. 
Anybody else could get it, and it, it causes all the uh, extremity, the, the little tiny capillaries in the extremities of your body eventually wither up and die. So your nose begins to rot off, your ears, your finger, the, your fingertips all begin to rot slowly back. Everywhere there, there's smaller blood vessels die first, your toes. And, and so lepers, when they got leprosy in that day, had to wrap themselves completely up like mummies almost. And then they had to stay at least 20 feet away from everybody and scream, I'm a leper. Don't come near me because you don't want to hurt anybody. So this poor guy's future is shot. He's gone. I mean, he's just going to die of leprosy alone, you know, no help coming. And he sees Jesus from afar off and he actually says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then there's this great verse where it says, and Jesus willing to help him. Jesus says, I am willing, and he doesn't just go from a distance to the leper. Hey, buddy, stay over there, but let me heal you. He goes up and he touches him. Now, why would he do that? Because Jesus can fix all things broken. Leprosy is not a thing to Jesus, you know? It doesn't threaten him at all. He can fix the brokenness of a guy that's got his his body's wrapped with leprosy and his future's completely shot. And Jesus goes, no, I got this. And he puts sand on him and goes, I am willing. Then he goes, hey, just do me a favor. Would you just keep the, go to the priest and cleanse up real good and, and do the pre, there's a priestly routine you got to go through the, the law of Israel. Would you just go take care of all that and then, uh, you know, we'll be good from there. Instead, the guy can't resist. Listen, when grace really gets a hold of you, it should translate into conversations like crazy. And it should. And so he cannot contain himself anymore. I call it uncontainable grace. He can't contain himself. He has to tell everybody. And so he begins going out and telling everybody to the point that Jesus literally can't stay there anymore because it's pouring out in every conversation he has. And I hope I hope you found his grace to be that way for you and you got to start telling it when new people come up on campus, when, you're, when your family visits you. I hope you tell them about the, this. There's something taking hold of me that's different. It's grace. Okay, and it takes good hold of you. So let me just give you another great picture. John chapter 4, there's the rudest woman on the planet chapter. Um, you guys know some rude ladies, and I bet you do. Um, this, this girl would beat, beat out any video of mean girls y'all have ever seen. So in John chapter 4, verse 4, there's this Samaritan woman. Jesus and his disciples are going on this road trip. Most, this, most Jewish people skipped around Samaria. They literally walk. It's almost 25 miles to go around Samaria instead of through Samaria um, because Samaritans were disliked. They were called in this day, don't mean to be politically incorrect, but they were called half-Greeks because they were half-Jewish and half-Gentile. They were couples that had intermarried with Jews and Gentiles and it freaked out the people in the community. The devout Jews hated them because there was Gentile mixed blood and the, the Gentiles hated them because there were these arrogant Jews in the mix. So, so they ended up having to create their own little town called Samaria. <coughs> And it was a town of just Samaritans, and most Jewish people avoided it like the plague. But Jesus says, we're going this way, and we're going to walk up here. And on the outside of town, there's a well. Jesus shows up at the well. I'm going to tell you the story because it's long. Jesus shows up at the well, and he sits down uh, to get some water, and he tells the disciples, hey, go into town and get some food for us. We're hungry. Go get some food. All right, so the disciples all leave. Jesus sitting at the well. A woman comes up with all her stuff to get water for the, you know, probably for the day or the week or whatever she's getting enough water for. When when she gets there, Jesus simply asks her this question: Would you give me something to drink? 
Now, I'm going to tell you the whole story. I say this is one of the rudest people in the Bible. Okay? This is an arrogant, bigoted, rude lady. And Jesus never got a drink of water. It never happened. Never got a drink of water. So, but here's, here's what happens. When he asked her for the water, she says this. How is it? How is it that you being a Jew, a Jewish man, would ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water? It's like, who do you think you are? That's really what it says. Who do you think you are? I know you Jews. I mean, she's really saying, I'm giving you the subtle lines. You Jews hate us. Why would you ask me for water? How is it that you being a Jew, see her draw this line in the sand between, she's like, look, you're that guy. You're a Jew and a man. I'm a Samaritan and a woman. We don't get along. Let me make that crystal clear, buddy. I don't know how it is you think I'm going to get you. You know. How is it? I mean, here's Jesus just going, hey, could you get me some water? How is it that you being a... And she's just like, all wound up. Right? Yeah. I'm telling you, she's a, she's a handful. She is a piece of work here. Jesus says, if you knew who was asking you for this water... You would give me a drink, and I could give you water that would cause you to never thirst again. I have a, ser- a sermon I did a long time ago on this, and, and it's called Aren't You Thirsty? Because that's all Jesus, every time Jesus talks back to her, he makes multiple statements. But every time he's going, didn't you come here because you were thirsty? I can quench your soul. Aren't you thirsty? That's what he keeps asking her while she's going, rrr, rrr, every time. So, so she says, you are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? That's a, again, like, Rrr. he says, if you know, if you know. So then she says, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. You know, what, you're, are you an idiot? I mean, she's just insulting him. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Maybe. <laughs> Who gave us this well and drank from it? As did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. And you know what she's saying? Look, we Samaritans, we have we have this well that Jacob drank water from. Like Jacob, you know, in the Old Testament, dude. Jacob, she's looking at Jesus going, Jacob drank from this well. In fact, his sheep and cows drank from this well. I don't know what kind of living water you're talking about, but this is Jacob's well. Who's she talking to? Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, you know, Jesus Christ. And she's just judging the daylights out of him. Now she thinks she's being judged by him. She does. She's convinced he's a Jewish man judging her, and all he's going is, Aren't you thirsty? I could give you a living water. If you would just, you know, dial that back about seven layers, and let's get real for a minute, I could give you some living water. You know, because she's she's got so much brokenness in her life. She is a handful of a mess. Jesus says, everybody drinks from this water is going to be thirsty again. But I can give you water that would never thirst again. So she says, sir, give me this water so I can never have thirst again. And uh, he says, okay, I will. Go call your husbands. Go call your husband. Let's have a talk. She goes, oh, time out on that. <laughs> Think about that. Huh. She goes, I'm not married. That's a simple answer. I'm not married. That's when Jesus, you know, story. Jesus goes, you're telling the truth. Thanks for telling me the truth. You're not married. You actually have five husbands, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. 
So you know what she is? She's a, she's a mess of broken relationships. I mean a mess of immoral, broken relationships. And she's also full of herself, honestly, and arrogant and bigoted as the day is long. She's as judgmental as anybody on the planet, judging people she thinks are judging her that aren't, right? That's the ultimate definition to me of a good bigot. And, and she's just large and in charge at this well, like, you're not, I'm not giving you any more. I don't know who you think you are, buddy. We had Jacob's sheep drinking from this thing. You don't know what you're talking about. I mean, that's just her all wound up. And Jesus going, if you only knew who you're talking, if you just take a, a breath, breathe in, think for a minute. So then he gets this deal of, and he just decides, you know, I'm going to prophesy over you for just a second. See if I can wreck your brain. And she goes, whoo. You know, when that happens, she slows way down, and she goes, well, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> like, nobody else would know that. But then, but then she draws another line. Listen, because see, he, in her mind, he's a Jewish prophet. Jewish prophet. Still a line. So she goes, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews, you claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. We're not even from the same parts of the world, buddy. We worship here, you worship there. So Jesus goes, look, there's a time coming when everybody's going to worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. We're all going to be together. And he's really just saying, come on, dial it back. Aren't you thirsty in your soul for something? And she actually, it clicks in her head, by the way, that, that there's something more to this. And she says, I know the, that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Hello. What kind of conversation we've been having? And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. And that's when the disciples return and you see the tension build again. As soon as they get there, she leaves. She is not having anything to do with them because they come up judging. I hate this about the disciples, but when they come up, find him talking with a woman uh, but nobody asked him, why are you, the, the disciples are whispering to themselves, why are you talking to that? Well, can't you tell she's an immoral idiot? I mean, she, she looks immoral just the way she's dressed. You, and they're just judging, judging, judging as they walk up. And she leaves. Now, you know what she does? I'll tell you the rest of the story. She goes back to Samaria, the town, having never given Jesus any water, by the way. But she gives Jesus something way better because she comes back with the whole town. It actually says at the end of this story, John 4, 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed. It says the whole town came back to see this man. They believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. When the Samaritans came to him, they urged to stay with him. He stayed for two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. He said to them, we no longer believe just because of what you, the woman, said. We now have heard ourselves and we know that this man is really the Savior. So here's this arrogant woman. She's bigoted and rude. The problem with helping her is that she's got this extremely bad track record. And she's just a pain. She's a handle. She's hard to deal with. But when she gets grace, she couldn't stop telling everybody. When grace got a hold of her, she went into town. And, told, and by the way, she had a lot of influence. <laughs> she had a lot of influence. So she went into town and used her influence and drew the whole town out for a revival. And it actually says at the end of John chapter 4, the whole town got saved. Through this woman that you'd, you'd, you'd mark her off your book just like that. And go, oh, she's more trouble than she's worth. <laughs> no. Jesus got, and Jesus actually tells the disciples, can't you see the fields are widened? That's the chapter where he goes, 
The fields are widened to harvest. You guys missed it. You went into town for a bunch of people that are ready to get saved and you never mentioned me at all. Came back with food when God was doing a way bigger work. Right? So it's pretty, pretty awesome. So she goes, how does Jesus fix her? She's this relational mess. All these broken relationships. Now she goes into town. She gets all these friends and broken relationships. She brings them back to Jesus. You think those people don't have a different relationship with her now? All the relationships are fixed. I mean, she, she becomes a repentant, godly, caring, loving woman that cares about the community and wants the community to meet the Messiah. It fixes everything. That's what he does. Let me give you one more real quick. Uh, Mark chapter 5. This is from Madness to Missionary. I love this guy. There was a time when Jesus kind of went into hiding because his ministry was, he was getting a lot of persecution from the Jews and he needed to step away. And so he goes to a Gentile community. <laughs> he goes to where there aren't a lot of Jews and it's across a little sea and it's a place where they raise pigs. And uh, when he gets, that's, there's no Jews there because Jewish people aren't allowed to spend time around pigs. So it's almost all uh, Jew, uh, Gentiles there. Jesus and his followers uh, went to the other side, Mark chapter 5 verse 1. Of the lake of the Gadarenes, when Jesus got out of the boat, instantly a man with an evil spirit came to him from the burial caves. This guy lives in the tombs. He lives in the tombs. He's naked. He, he, he comes running up. This man lives in the caves, and no one could tie him up, not even with a chain. Many times people had used chains to tie the man's hands and feet, but he always broke them off. No one was strong enough to control him. Day and night he would wander around the burial caves on the hills, screaming, cutting himself with stones. While Jesus was still far away, the man saw him and ran up to him, fell down before him. The man shouted with a loud voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? That's, by the way, a note that that's not the man speaking, but the demons in him. And demons know exactly who Jesus is. There's no question in their mind, he is Jesus Christ. Demons have some of the best theology in the world, by the way. They don't have a relationship with Jesus, they just have really good theology. And that's why they're going to stay in hell. But I command you, Jesus says, uh, what, do you want, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I command you, these are the demons talking, I command you in God's name not to torture me. <laughs> like the demons have authority with God. I command you in God's name not to torture me. Um, he said this because Jesus was saying to him, you evil spirits come out of the man. Jesus asked, what is your name? They said, we, my name is Legions because we're many we don't know how many, by the way. We do know that 2,000 pigs died this day because of this guy. So some people think one, one demon per pig. I don't know. You know, It might have been 15 of them, and the rest of the pigs are just stupid. So either way, you get a lot. Of, there's a lot in there. A large herd of pigs, Jesus kept telling them over and over to come out. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the hill nearby. The demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs. Let's go into them. So because demons aren't smart and know that, you know, it's still not going to work out good for you either way. But Jesus says, okay. Um, Jesus allowed them to do this. And the evil spirit left the man. And he went into, they went into the pigs. Uh, then the herd of pigs, about 2,000 of them, rushed down the hill. And the lake were drowned. And the town had this incredible barbecue for the next month. So it's an awesome story to me. I love this story. Barbecue and bacon all the day long. So they, they rushed down the hill. Um, the herdsmen ran away and went to the town near the countryside telling everyone about this. See what he did when he got right? He ran and told everybody. People went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus saw the man who used to have many evil spirits. How's the man now? He's sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. 
And they were frightened. By the way, the townspeople asked Jesus to leave. At the end of the story, the townspeople say, hey, you're freaking us out. And I want to tell you something. Sometimes when grace gets a hold of somebody for real, maybe for you, when grace gets a hold of you, it freaks your family out because you're very different. And you freak them out a little bit, right? Well, it freaked them out. And they asked Jesus to leave. And the man says, can I go with you? And here's what Jesus tells the man. I want you to hear this. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And now he's had mercy on you. I'm begging you to take that verse very seriously. I pray that would be a light verse for you. When you find grace in Jesus, go home and tell your family how much the Lord has done for you. Just make that the deal. I'm going to tell everybody how much the Lord has done for me. So he goes from being a madman to literally being a missionary in that community. It actually says ten towns around there heard Ten towns around that town heard the message through this man. And there's, there's evidence that when Jesus gets to one of those towns and they begin to talk, Jesus begins to preach there, some guy comes up to him. There's evidence the only way that could have happened is if the crazy guy from the tombs was the guy that told that town. Because it's so far away from Israel and Jerusalem. And, and it was the place where Jesus had touched to the extremity. And this guy went even further out. So you guys, I'm just wanting you to hear how God fixes things. And I don't care, you know, that man was spiritually broken. He had multiple, multiple demons. I've met people like him before. Multiple, multiple demons. He had broken spirit. His spiritual life was broken. The lady had relationships that were broken. You know, the guy with leprosy, his future was broken. And God goes, I can fix all this. Just give me a second. And and by the way, just just follow my plan. And I can fix all this. So he fixes all things broken. Amen? Amen.